0: Um, I'm very humbled um, and also very honored just to stand here this morning. It's always really excited. I always get really excited to share the Word of God. Um, I've been going to this church for a little bit over a year now. Um, I'm originally from the U.S. and when I was 21 I moved to Uganda in Africa. And so I've moved to New Zealand recently from Uganda Um, I spent most of my young adulthood in Uganda, and so I missed out on a few lessons that you might learn in New Zealand or in the U.S., like how to pay bills or taxes. No comprehension of those things. My husband's being very patient with me. Um, But I did learn a lot of great life lessons in Africa, um, especially about adulting. Um, The one I'm going to share with you today is that it's okay for your car to catch on fire. (laughs) Very important lesson to know. (laughs) Um, It was a really hot day in Africa. Africa has like three types of weather, or at least Uganda does. They have rainy, they have hot, and they have very hot. So today was very, very hot. Um, I had been driving around all morning long. We had just been gifted a car from a team that came to visit from the U.S. And so they came... Um, my ministry partner, Katie, and I, we've been praying about like our need for a car, but we hadn't really shared it with anyone. It felt really, really just way too much to ask, and so we just were like, okay, God, well, we'll just share it with you. And so this team came over to serve with us, and The first day they got there, they were like, well, you know, God told us that we should be raising money for a car for you guys. We didn't want to tell you, but here's $8,000. Hope you can go buy one. Um, And so we were just shocked and amazed, like, whoa, okay, like, we know this is from the Lord. We're so blessed. Um, And so I kind of um, let Katie do most of the car shopping. She was really into it. I was like, as long as it drives, I'm okay. (laughs) Um... And So Katie went out and she got us this uh, Toyota Prado, these nice big old wheels just like bumping around the African roads. It was great. Um, but she was about to go back to the U.S. For two in, in two weeks, um, and she was all about driving and using the car until she had to go back and um, do some fundraising for us. So she, she commandeered the car for two weeks, so I was really excited when I finally got to drive. Um, and I'd been driving for about three days, and it was just such a blessing. Um, but that day, I was a little bit annoyed. It was a Saturday. I was working. No one likes to work on a Saturday morning, um, and I had friends visiting, and I was just like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> so I was really happy. I was finally on my way home, and I was just going up this huge hill, um, In in Uganda, we call it Tank Hill, and I think that's because it it takes a tank to get up there. Um, But when I finally got to the top, I heard this giant pop come from the engine. And I was like, hmm. Katie's been gone for three days, and I broke the car, I got a little nervous, and so I kind of just kept driving a little slowly, and I was like, we'll just see how it goes. I'm on my way down the hill, and I had, like, just started to relax, you know, like, that tension in your shoulders releases, and then all of a sudden, from the engine, in every direction, it just went whoosh, and flames were coming up out of every part of the engine. And I don't know about you, I have no experience working with cars, but the experience I have is in movies, every time a car catches on fire, it blows up. So naturally, that's what I think is about to happen. So I'm like, pull over to the side of the road, I am out of that car in about half a second, the door is wide open behind me, the car is still running, and I am sprinting up the hill, that I just came back down. (laughs) I'm not sure why I didn't continue downhill, but apparently uphill sounded great. And so I'm like running up this giant hill and I'm screaming, fire! And then I was translating for myself, for those who didn't know English, and I'm just looking like full out crazy lady. (laughs) And so I finally get up to a The hill, like to a place where I deemed was safe, and that if it when it exploded, I wasn't going to die. And I'm like waving people back, trying to get them away from the car, and everyone's just looking at me and laughing. I'm like, what is going on? Don't these people want to live? And so, I finally turn around and I look. And I'm like, kind of like peeping over my shoulder looking to see this huge boom. And what I see is these four Ugandan men casually crossing the road to the car. Because I've left the door open, one of them just reaches in and opens the hood to the engine and the other three proceed to put the fire out. (laughs) And then they look up at me and they say, oh, you can come back. (laughs) And so I'm like have the biggest walk of shame down this hill. I'm sweating, I am barefoot. I just was like, this is horrible. (laughs) So I get to the car and I looked at, and one of the men looked at me and he said, maybe you should call your mechanic to come check on it. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know. And so I call the mechanic, and then I call Katie, my ministry partner, who's supposed to find us this great car, and I said, Katie, our car just got on fire. And she was like, oh, yeah, the mechanic said it might do that. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And she was like, yeah, it's something about the coolant leaks, and there's something in the engine that's messed up, but he said if you just put water in the coolant thing every day, it should be fine. And I was like okay. (laughs) And she was like, sorry, I forgot to tell you. (laughs) Great. Um, And so I, I sit down on the side of the road and I just begin to laugh. Like I'm already not the crazy lady. And then I'm like hysterically laughing on the side of the road because I was just confronted with this thought. I was 22 years old. I didn't have a dollar to my name. I had said goodbye to my home, my job, my boyfriend, my community. I was living in a third-world country. I was the director of a nonprofit, a mom to ten street kids. Well, they weren't street kids anymore, but they used to be. I didn't even have the money to go out and buy a, a much pair of needed shoes, which also looks like it's my situation today. But <laughs> I had it, um, and. This $8,000 gift that we had just been given may never work again. And I just sat there laughing because I was really okay with it. Um, and I was just kept laughing, and I just realized none of that bothers me um, because I was content to lose what was never truly mine to hold. And so many people would hear those circumstances that I just listed off to you, and they'd be quick to stamp a label on me, like whoop sold out for God. Um, But being sold out, it's not defined by what I had left behind or what my current circumstances were or how much I felt like I was sacrificing or how much need I had that was going unmet. But being being sold out, it has nothing to do with our physical circumstances. It's, It's a measure of our hearts. It was that contentment. It was that acknowledgement that, God, everything I have is from you, and I want to give everything I am to you. Um, If you go to a store and they look at you and they tell you, I'm sorry, what you're looking for is sold out. There's nothing left. There's none in the store, none in the back room, there's none in storage. So when we say sold out for Jesus, we mean that there's nothing left of ourselves. It's all gone. It's given to God, and we're not storing up anything up in our back room for which to live our lives for ourselves with. Um, as I was praying through this sermon <laughs> I really felt like the example God gave me was Ananias and Sapphira, which honestly made me cringe a little bit at first, because that's a really intimidating passage to me, and so I tried to ignore that for a few days, but God was pretty sure, so let's dive in. Um, If you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts 4, verse 32. I'm also going to read it to you, so you can listen to me. Um, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit have kept for yourself some of the money you received for this land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. (laughs) And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward. They wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. "'About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, "'and Peter asked her, "'Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for this land?' "'And she said, "'Yes, that is the price.' "'And Peter said to her, "'How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? "'Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, "'and they'll carry you out also.' "'At that moment, she fell, she fell down at his feet and died.' Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. <laughs> I don't know about you, but after reading that, that fear still remains in me. <laughs> but what was Ananias and Sapphira's fault? You know, they were, they were doing a good thing. Um, they had given half of what they had sold to the ministry, and that's still quite a lot. Um, But God didn't need their money. He wasn't concerned at all about their money. He wanted their hearts. That's what he was after. He wanted their trust. He wanted their lives. God wasn't concerned with what they were trying to sacrifice before him as much as he was as the status of their hearts. Their hearts and their intentions were to hold back from God, and that's what he was not okay with. But now if we look at Peter, here's a disciple who followed Jesus in the flesh, he was doing all sorts of wrong things. He was cutting off people's ears and denying Jesus every chance he got. And he couldn't stop mucking everything up. And this is the man that God chose to build his church on. And the, the, Matthew 16, 18 says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. The father saw the intentions of Peter's heart While his actions were sometimes wrong and uncalled for, Peter's heart loved the Lord God with everything he had. He was willing to do whatever it cost to follow God and be a child of God. God is so concerned with the status of our hearts. We have to remember that he's not looking for tools. He's not looking for weapons for the kingdom, but he wants his children to come home. Um, There's a big emphasis within the church today on being used by God. We have to be really careful around this word, this word use, because as far as I know, there are very few parents who have children because they want to use them. Um, Parents bring children into their family because they want to love them, (laughs) they want to see their family grow. And you know, things that are used, they're often temporary. Um, Unless you're like my husband, who we have something and then we break it, and usually I break it, and then he fixes it, and then (laughs) I break it again, and then we fix it, and then he, you know, this horrible cycle of (laughs) using, breaking, fixing, using, breaking, fixing. Um, But for so many of us, that's our mindset when we come before God. We put forth this giant effort in serving God, to be used by him things don't go the way that we planned or we get burned out or doubt creeps in and we fall and often we fall really really hard and then we're slowly restored by our faithful and our loving father but then this cycle continues to repeat and repeat and repeat until for some people, they reach a point or a day where they're tired of falling. They're tired of the doubt, they're tired of the burnout, and the effort stops. They're happy to maintain this very stagnant relationship with the creator of the universe who's longing to call them son or daughter. Um, there's a big difference between a child and a family who wants to be used, and a child who wants to be part of that family. Um, In Uganda, we had a a home for street children, so we were in the work of bringing in children into our family. And we would often see this mentality. Children who wanted to be part of a family would often come home, and they wouldn't hold back. (laughs) If I made them mad, I could find my clothes on fire, or a chicken locked in my room for hours, and it's poo to cover those hours, (laughs) Um, or basins of water poured on my bed. Um, you know, like these kids, they were able to laugh and cry and express themselves within our family. Um, they rooted deeply within our family and took on our, our values and they took on our beliefs. Um, and they trusted us. The children who came in who wanted to be used so that they could earn their worth or their home, they always cracked some could maintain this facade for days, some for weeks. I've even seen it maintained for years. Um, just doing what's ever asked of them. Always trying to give the right answer or doing the right thing. Never expressing how they truly feel about what's being asked of them. Um, and I have seen almost every one of those kids eventually just crack and give up. They can't, they can't earn their worth They couldn't do it. They couldn't earn that spot in that home, and neither can we. When we come before God, we can't align our behavior and then expect our hearts to change. We have to let God into our hearts, change our hearts, and then our behavior begins to change. It's about an overflow. It's about an outflow within our hearts. Joel 2:13 it says rend your heart not your garments return to the Lord your God he's gracious he's compassionate he's slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity What are our garments what are these things that we carry every day that we need to rend <sighs> funny word Um, it's what's on the outside it's our behaviors our actions maybe for some of us it's our hours what we're spending our time on during the day every person should have different things that God can bring to your mind but there's nothing that God wants more than our hearts he desires to love us fully and he doesn't want to hold back his love from us but often it's us, it's us who are standing back and holding ourselves away from the Lord and away from fully stepping into the fullness of his love and, the, and becoming a member of the family of God. When we choose to become a member of our kingdom family, our view of God changes from that of a judge to, to a father. I'm not sitting in a courtroom anymore, praise the Lord. I'm at a dinner table with my daddy. When we have that courtroom mentality, we're bringing everything that we do constantly before the Lord to be judged. Um, We don't know, if if you've ever been to court, you don't know where you're ending up. You don't know if you're going to get a penalty. You don't know if you're going to end up in jail. You don't know if you're going to walk free. But when I'm at the dinner table, I always know where I'm going to end up because I'm in my father's house. Um, When we choose to be a member of our kingdom family, we're choosing to have a daily relationship with the Father. That's how we maintain our contentment. That's how we keep our storerooms empty. It's not surrender once. It's not surrender once a year at a big conference we've been to. It's not a surrender once a week at church. It's a surrender every day, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes multiple times a minute. (laughs) It's a a yielding within our hearts to do his will. It's a waking up every day and asking God, God, what do you desire for me to do this day? Not whining about all that we have to do and asking him to bless it. Um, If that job is where God wants you right now in this season, he'll surely make sure that you're going to get there. But there's a surrender in giving ourselves to God and asking him every morning, God, what do you want me to do today? Um, when we choose to be a member of our kingdom family, we begin to think the way our family thinks. It's called the mindset of the spirit. Romans 8, 6 says that, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What an honor it is that the Holy Spirit chooses to abide with us. Um, He's not a visitor. He doesn't choose to come and go. He doesn't just come over when our house is clean and our dishes are done. Like, he lives with us. He's always there for us to tap into. When my peace in my mind begins to shake and I can feel just the heaviness of my circumstances really start to weigh on me, I welcome in the Holy Spirit. I say, God, thank you that you've given me a mindset of life and peace. Thank you that your spirit reigns in my body. Thank you that the blood of Jesus paid for my sins so that a peace I can't understand will guard my heart and my mind. We have to fight every day to maintain that peace. Um, Because the more we think like God, the more we will act like him. The more we'll walk like him. The more we'll talk like him we'll begin to think about others the way that God actually wants us to think about others. We'll begin to think about ourselves the way that God wants us to think about ourselves. And most importantly, we'll begin to think about God the way that God should be thought about. Um, when we choose to be a member of our kingdom family, we're choosing to believe and trust in the character of our Father God. We're choosing to believe that when we see this small much of something, that God is seeing this much. And we're choosing to believe that when we experience loss or pain, or we feel like we're drowning in a season of waiting, that God is right next to us. His arms are open wide to us. He's waiting for us to come to him. And we're choosing to believe that God didn't promise us easy. He didn't promise us normal. He didn't promise us pain-free, and he surely did not promise us perfect. Um, So those are not things that we should be chasing after. But he promised us abounding love, unending joy, a peace that never fails, and a hope that can kindle in our hearts and just give us a passion to live again. He promised us a comforter and a father and a family and an eternity with him. The strongest impact that we can make in, in this world for the kingdom of God is opening up our hearts and our minds and allowing God to love us in the way that he wants to. Because there is nothing that he wants more than to love his children with fullness. Um, and that's when, when our cup begins to overflow. We won't have to force things to make God known. He'll just be all over everything we do, everything we say. Um, In Uganda, it was very common to have um, guards within your compound. So every house has a nice big fence. And um, if you were able to, you had a guard that either stayed there all day and night. Or for us, we just had a night guard. His name was Uncle John. Now, Uncle John, he was a character. We were good friends, but there's one thing I really didn't like about him. Again, I'm a person that, for some reason, I wake up every night at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, sometimes you got to go to the toilet, sometimes you need a glass of water, sometimes you just need a stretch. It just happens every night. And so it was the same in Uganda. And we had a pretty big compound. It would probably be from, like, um, my window would probably be from where I'm standing to... Probably that back wall in the church. So every night I would get up, I would light a candle, um, because we're in Uganda, and I would be like going about my business, trying to do whatever I needed to do that night. (laughs) And almost without fail, every night at some point in my little midnight break, I would get a tap on the window. (laughs) Okay, that's really scary when it's nighttime and then you're already half asleep and then somebody taps on the window and then you look and you can't see anything and then you're like, what? And then you hear, Auntie Mallory. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, And almost every night, John would come up to the window and he'd say, Oh, I saw the candle. Can you make me a coffee? (laughs) I'm like, John, I'm sleeping. (laughs) I did it once and it was just a bad lesson and then it got asked for every night. But the story is that from across that compound, from 50 meters away, when I would strike this tiny little candle where I'm fumbling through everything and I feel like I can't see, like, without an arm's length around me, John can see that light from so far away and he comes running And and that's the light of God that we carry. For us, we feel like it's something small, and we feel like, you know, we can only see the next few steps ahead. But the people around us, they see that light. They see the light that burns inside of us. Um, You can't deny it. Um, They can see it across office desks. They can see it across classrooms. They can see it across parking lots. They can see it across churches, Um, there's a Mother Teresa quote that I'm pretty sure Gina actually shared before, Um, but it says that not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. But when I'm not loved, when I don't have the love of God within me, I do little things with little love, (laughs) or sometimes little things with no love. Um, We have to be loved greatly in order to, to begin to love others greatly. To be able to sit with the people around us who are hurting and not try to fix them, but just to be with them, that takes great love. To stretch out our budget to meet a need that you've heard about, that takes great love. To open up your homes to neighbors or foster care or that coworker that you're not quite sure about, that takes great love. To ask that unbelieving friend that you have, hey, would you want to read the Bible with me sometimes? I don't. Side note, I don't know why that's so scary for some of us. It's one sentence. Hey, do you want to read the Bible with me sometimes? What's the worst they say? Ooh, no? And you say, okay, cool. What are you up to this weekend? Move on. Like, that's all it takes. Um, you know? Or they say yes, and you get the honor of reading the word of God with an unbeliever. You know, that takes great love. And, and we do these things, we stretch out, we reach out to the people around us, not because we've found worthy people, but because we've found a father who is worthy of our actions. He's worthy of calling us son and daughters, because that's what he sent his son to die for, was that we can walk in the family of God. If we want to do powerful things for the kingdom of God, we have to be loved in the most powerful way. Or else they're not of God, but they're of ourselves. The sold-out heart has nothing left of itself. It's storeroom, it's empty. It doesn't withhold itself from the Father, but it walks fully in the sonship that it's been given through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it overflows the Father's heart and the Father's love onto everything it touches. I'm just going to pray. Father, we just give you so much glory, God. I thank you, Father, that you have just, Lord, you've called us son and you've called us daughter and you've welcomed us home, you've welcomed us into your family, God. And there's so much focus within the church or when we're looking at the Christian life on what it costs to follow God. But God, I pray that we would just give us hearts that focus on what we gain when we choose to lay down our lives before you and we cry out, Abba, Father. God. I pray for the hearts in this room who feel like they're in cycles of use and breaking and restoring God. Father, I pray that you would just release a new revelation to them of how much you love them, God. And I pray for the unbelieving hearts in this room, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that yearns to belong to you above all things, God. Father, for those of us who are pressing on, God, I pray that you would just constantly remind us that nothing in this world satisfies God apart from you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we bless your name. Amen.